Good morning. Testing. We good? Yeah, I think we're good. Let's rock and roll. We got a small group today. Um, I'm going to move around. You guys can come up front. You guys are so far away. <laughs> Feel free to come up so I can see your eyes. It's a small group. Uh, and that way we can make it uh, more of a conversation versus uh, uh, Steve, Steve, Steve and I just talking at you guys. How does that make sense, right? Okay, well, look, let's, uh, let's get going. I'll, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jim Barnes. I'm the CEO of Invista, um, roughly 700-person software consulting firm, right? So not huge, not small, but definitely dedicated to this order management space. And I'll let Steve introduce himself. Sure. Steve Congro. I'm the director of Omnichannel Technology at Saddle Creek Logistics. Uh, Saddle Creek Logistics is a soon-to-be 54-year-old third-party logistics company um, based in Central Florida, uh, 45 locations, just over 20 million square feet of warehouse space under our control. Um, we do everything from transportation to pallet-in, pallet-out style warehousing, but fastest-growing area um, is generally what we call fulfillment. So this is things like e-commerce fulfillment, um, things like order management, which obviously we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, basically, everything that happens in the e-commerce transaction after the consumer finishes checkout to the point that they get their package uh, will handle for our clients. Um, clients range from small, you know, a few hundred orders a month to we have some clients that we're literally doing millions of orders a month for, um, like on the subscription side, for example. Yeah, in all transparency, um, Steve is a client of Invista today. They actually use our order management system. They actually take those orders from, I don't know, how many different e-commerce platforms today? Uh, commerce platforms probably, uh, I think, four or five right now, different ones. We have a lot of homegrown things and different integrations and stuff like that. Um, we have about 15 clients live on the system now um, and about five in work. So by, tw uh, by June, it'll be 20. So so I'll give you some ideas, some context. So again. Real, the real, the real uh, genesis of this conversation is unifying commerce and you know, why do we believe that order management uh, is really the, the central component from an application, from a platform perspective to really unify commerce. So again, it's one person's opinion in terms of where we think uh, the world is going in terms of commerce. And, and when I say commerce, I'm just not talking about e-commerce, right? I'm talking about commerce in general, right? So you can put brick or mortar underneath that, you can put physical underneath that, you can put digital underneath that both B2B and B2C, right? So just commerce in general, okay? So again, um, the, the whole objective is to talk about order management system, how it is really the unlock as it relates to um, uh, what we refer to as commerce and how we're leveraging it today to solve real business problems for those today that are mainly retailers, mm -hmm. uh, but these are retailers that have both brick and mortar and a digital, a digital commerce presence, so again, uh, seamless, seamless type unified experience. So the customer, quite frankly, has one experience. They don't have multiple experiences. So for those who have been in a situation where you have bought something online and you can't return it to a store, you know, as an example, uh, something where you've actually uh, bought something online and it's been discounted and you go, or actually it's not discounted, you go to the store and you're like, well, it's now 20% off, how can that happen, right? So again, we want that unified experience to the customer regardless of where he or she buys from. We want it to obviously be seamless, but more importantly, we want it to be unified. So we'll, that's the construct of the day, Absolutely. right? So we'll talk about uh, you know, omni-channel unified commerce, what's order management, so in case you don't know what order management is and how 
we define order management. I'd say how Gardner looks at it, how Forrester looks at it. We'll talk about that construct. Uh, we'll talk about you know, how can OMS increase revenue? And so one of the things that I'm a big believer of is that uh, order management system today is probably one of the only platforms that actually can help drive revenue, but at the same time drive profitability in terms of cost containment, right? So warehouse management system, if you've got one, does it drive revenue? No, right? Uh, ERPs, can they drive revenue? Not really. E-commerce sites, drive revenue, but can they help with cost? Not really. And so order management system is kind of a unique position that can actually help drive revenue, and we'll talk about how and why, but it also can help you contain cost, right? Through basically what we call smart order fulfillment or profitable order fulfillment, right? Okay? Um, and then, you know, how can it improve the experience of the customer? And then more importantly, how do you provide one single view of the customer? Because all data uh, in terms of item, inventory, customer is flowing through one application with one database, right? So now you've got a central view of that customer. So if there's questions that you guys have got, since it's a small group, you know, just raise your hand and say, look, I'm not getting you, Jim. You're talking too fast, which I have a tendency to do. Uh, so just, just stop us, okay, right? Yeah. So, look, here, here's what's happening. Um, and I use this slide, this is, a, uh, this is an infographic that we built probably five years ago to talk about what's happening in the market. And if you think about it, uh, for the longest time, you know, you know, 2,000 years, right, we basically were single channel. We traded, we bartered, right? You want something, I physically had to have the product available, and then I paid a price, obviously, for that item, right? So very single channel. Over the last 30 years, we've moved into multi-channel, where now I've got brick and mortar, I've got digital, right? I've got mobile today, and I'm basically selling, right, what we call multi-channel. Make sense? Last 15 years, the whole construct of Omni, but I like to look at the word Omni really as more of a, of, as a verb, right? Omni channel is more around fulfillment execution than it really is about being unified, okay? And I'd say where we are in the present, which is kind of utopia, and very few people are doing this, by the way. I mean, there are very few people that are doing this well. And where we want to go is really this whole construct of unified commerce. And if you see the graphic, there's a distinction in here that I think is key. Anybody see the difference between the 2,000, 30 years and 15 versus presence? Right, I can give you a little hint, right? The, the difference is the customer, right, is the center of everything you do. Versus an Omni, right, it's really not about the customer, it's really about how do I expose inventory, how do I fulfill inventory in the most effective, effect, efficient and effective way, and what we're doing right now is saying no, if I'm gonna be really good at commerce, the customer has to be the centric point of my universe. And from there, I'll start branching out. Is that, I think that's the, uh, sorry about the background noise, that's the uh, drone that's going off. Uh, so, and one thing I'll add to that, Jim, by the way, can everybody hear okay? I know we got what sounds like a giant vacuum cleaner behind us, but one thing I'll add to this as well is, you know, this is important on the fulfillment side and the warehousing side for, for us, because of the fact that, you know, if you think about 30 years ago with multi-channel, and, and even really 20 years ago, you know, when, when these longtime retailers said, hey, you know, let's try this whole 
e-commerce thing. Maybe there's something here. Maybe it'll take off. We all laugh at that now, but that's what a lot of them did. When they established their company, they said, e-com is going to be this separate thing. We're going to keep it separate. We're going to buy it separate. We're going to have a separate group of people do that. Well, what does that lead to? One is a system disconnect between your e-commerce channel and your brick and mortar channel. And I use the term channel kind of loosely because let's be honest, the consumer doesn't think of it as I'm going to shop Nordstrom's e-commerce channel. They're going to go to Nordstrom.com and do what they want to do. And they expect that that integration will happen. So if they go to the store, they can pick up their order, they can return the order. That also applies to the warehousing side as well because what retailers find and manufacturers find is that if they have to buy separate inventory for their e-commerce site from their brick and mortar site, they're going to overbuy inventory because they can't share it well between them. If they want to, they have to basically transfer it between them. It, it doesn't work. It, it, you know, having all of that inventory available for all of your sales channels it, it is really key. Yeah, and to kind of echo what Steve's talking about, I'll give you a good example. So, you know, when you move from here to here, right, I'm still doing fulfillment. I'm still leveraging inventory in my network. I'm trying to fulfill it any place, anywhere, return it any place, anywhere, anytime. But when I move to this here, right, I mean, I would just ask the audience, how many of you have a chief customer officer that actually spans across both digital and physical, right? Typically, most commerce companies have a VP of store ops, and they've got a VP of digital, right? But very few companies actually have a chief customer officer that actually manage both. Mm -hmm. The number of times I walk into a customer and I'm like, give me your organizational chart. It's very, very siloed. It's still sitting over here, but they've got aspirations to be here, but organizationally they're not aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Even to the point I always jokingly say, well, who gets credit for the sell for an e-commerce order? I mean, I've spent weeks debating, right, from a, from a sales audit perspective, who should get it? My point is, why does it matter, right? Why does it matter who gets credit for it, right? It's a sell. Celebrate the sell, make sure it's a great customer experience, Right, train your associates that it doesn't really matter if it's in the store or if it's online, you're about actually delighting the customer, right? So it, this is a lot about mindset and technology as well, right? So again, you know, look, order management, it's a platform application that simply takes demand, right? Demand from both physical and digital sources, right? Different form factors, takes the order and says, how best to allocate that inventory in a network to optimize basically cost, time, and I'll talk about what we're doing later, even doing predictive analytics around what we call true order profitability, right? Which I may actually succumb to transportation to overcome a potential markdown on an item. So I may ship something, and we'll show you an example, where I may ship something from, from New York to California, and it may cost me five and a half dollars, but it's worth it because I know in two weeks there's gonna be a markdown because I'm not selling through that item fast enough, right? And so we can change dynamically what we allow to be exposed, right, in all channels. And I'll give you an example, right? So I'll let you take, I'll let you, this is a good slide. Yeah, I mean, and this is something I hinted at a little bit before, is this is something that, that even our clients or retailers in general have. I mean, and prior to, just, you know, transparency, prior to my time at Saddle Creek, I actually was with a uh, e-commerce company called Fanatics. You've heard of Fanatics, NFL Shop, NBA Store, nearly now every sports e-commerce site in the world. It's kind of crazy. 
Um, and, and I spent 12 years there running WMS, OMS, and transporta parcel transportation systems. You know, this is something that, that we we're getting into there. We see it with our clients today. And, you know, how they manage and how clients manage the, the, all of the different points of interaction. How they keep inventory, you know, they, they need to replenish stores, their stores. They need to replenish other retailers' stores. They need to have inventory for their e-commerce channels. H how do they make that work and how do they make that work with really one set of inventory? Because again, like we said, you can buy separate inventory for each one of these channels, but then you're gonna have the headwinds of having too much inventory on one channel, not enough on the other. How do I share? How do I save sales? And, and the fact of if everything is not orchestrated together, then it's all individual channels that aren't working well together. So that when a customer wants to do something which has become standard, buy online, pick up in store, or receive the order on, you know, through the mail, but return it at the store, things like that are things where some retailers small and large are going to, and if the experience is disjointed from the, for the consumer, it's not gonna make for a happy consumer. Yeah, yeah I think, I, I, I wanna point on this word here, um, increasing customer expectations, right? And one of the things that we're doing proactively, and we'll, we'll talk about this in the presentation, is really managing customer expectations. And I'll use an example to prove the point. Anybody here uh, an Amazon Prime member? Okay, most of you are, right? I am too, right? I mean, I succumb to it, especially when I need something like tomorrow or today. But you all pay your $125, right? Now think about this, I'm gonna give you some statistics, and it may have changed lately, but Amazon Prime is a $8.5 billion business. Do you know where that ranks them in top retailers in the world? Top 150. And here's what's interesting, they haven't done anything. You bought on an expectation that they're gonna ship something and be delivered within two days. Think about that business model. Can I take $125? I've not yet done anything, but I'll make sure I get the product there in two days. Yeah. Sure, take my $125, Jim, right? I'm serious, on expectation. More importantly, right, the key distinction here, making the promise and keeping the promise and having operational excellence is what makes Amazon so unique, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have a problem with an order, because they don't have problems with orders, do you ever call a call center? Very difficult to call a call center. You know why? Because they deliver on time. And so this whole expectation of pre-cart checkout and post-cart checkout, right, is a key distinction about how our order management system can help you. And I'll, I'll explain to you how, how we do that, right? So look, what is OMS all for? I, it's really what I call four constructs or four pillars. But at the end of the day, the first one is the most important. You can't do any of this unless you know where inventory is sitting in your network relatively near time, okay? So all this great stuff we talk about cannot be done unless I know where inventory is sitting relatively near time. Now, why do I say, why not real time? Well, look, do I really need an EDI 846 feed for my vendor every minute? No. Can I get it every hour? Okay, let me get it twice a day. It's a big file, right? So do I really need to have trickle pulling at my point of sale for every transaction? I can live without it, right? Maybe I get it every 30 minutes. So it doesn't have to be real time, it just has to be near time, good enough based upon 
how much inventory is moving through the network, right? And I think that's also important because of the fact that depending on where all your inventory sources are, to Jim, to your point, you may not be able to get that feed anywhere near real time. You know, for example, we have clients of ours, their inventory is in our warehouse. Well, our warehouse communicates with our OMS within minutes at most, but they also have dropship vendors, which will get inventory fees from them anywhere between hourly to daily to when Tommy decides to update the inventory manually and he'll go in the system. You know, we have that whole range and, and that's what I think is important. Yep. The second, the second construct is this whole concept of really order orchestration. Uh, some people will call this DOM, right? Distributed order management. And so the DOM engine is really determining um, where to ship from based upon a static rule set. Or you can build static rule sets in the future and say it's inclusive, exclusive type logic. Don't fulfill, like we have a client called Spencer Gifts, don't fulfill lamps from a store. I don't want my store people packing out glass. So again, I can't fulfill from a store that actually sells a lamp. I can go do it from a DC, but I can't fulfill actually from a store because I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with actually breaking the actual product, right? So the DOM, the DOM engine is really determining what can be filled where, right? Based upon service levels, okay? I want to get to the customer as fast as possible. It can be looking at inventory sell-through rate, like get rid of my non-productive inventory before you get rid of my productive inventory dynamically, right? So we're making smart decisions in terms of where to fill from um, as it relates to where that inventory is, both physically and virtually. So if the order comes down and it's a two-line order, one's getting fulfilled from his DC, but they're also got a vendor dropship program, the order management system's determining, I'm gonna split that, fulfill it from the vendor and fulfill it from his 3PL, right? It's managing the logic and keeping track of the logic, right? The last thing is really around fulfillment execution, which is now ship from store, print out carrier pack list, print out carrier labels, make API calls to my carrier, rate shop, tell the, tell the actual store what, what carton to use, um, et cetera. Same thing from a vendor perspective, go, you know, go pick the item, et cetera. It's handling the fulfillment execution and getting an extension to those stores and those vendors. And then last, is really around what I call customer care. Not call center, not ring, 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 right? But customer care around order creation and order maintenance. So order creation could be, well, let me take over the cart. You know, let's say you get stuck, right? And you're like, hey, I'm really frustrated with your website, but I want to order something. Well, guess what? I'll take over your cart on the order management system. I'll finish the order for you. Or better yet, you know, I'm not really comfortable putting my credit card, right, on your website. Can you actually finish the actual cart, right? Again, order creation. And then order, main, order maintenance is when something goes wrong, right, what do you do? How do I appease the order, right? How do I give you free shipping? How do I swap out an item? That order edit, order maintenance, right, is something that the order management system does today, right? And that's important. The order maintenance is really important because there's kind of two types of maintenance. One is proactive or customer requested maintenance saying, hey, I just placed my order, but I want to upgrade it to next day shipping. You know, one of the more frustrating things is when they say, you hear a retailer say, sorry, the order's already dropped to the warehouse, we can't upgrade the shipping. Which is kind of bananas if you think about it, because you're sitting there with your credit card saying, I would like to pay you more money. And they're like, nah, you keep it. I mean, as a retailer, 
How frustrating is that? Whereas, you know, with, with our system, any, our clients who are on our OMS can change their shipping method, change their address up to the point the order is being packed out. And that's important because the last thing you want to do is ship something that the customer doesn't want or to a location they don't want because you are guaranteeing a return. In the warehouse, in a fulfillment warehouse, generally the most expensive single transaction is processing a return. The last thing you want, especially when you take into account the freight out and the freight back, because somebody's going to have to pay that freight. You're right, really, if you want to do the right thing by the customer, you should eat that. Now, sometimes retail will say, no, you're going to have to eat it, in which case the consumer will say, fine, I'll eat it and I'll never shop from you again. Not good. The other thing is more the reactive stuff. So the picker went to the bin. They thought there was three there. They go to the bin. There's not three there. We have to go find that inventory somewhere else. You know, that happens in a warehouse. It doesn't happen in a Saddle Creek warehouse, of course, where our inventory is perfect. But it happens in warehouses in general. And, and, and you know, inventory is never 100% perfect because it's, at the end of the day, a human counts items, a human decides what's in there. So having that one point where the system can then be proactive and reactive at the same time. Hey, look, at the, at the end of the day, what do we want, right? We really want a 360-degree view of the customer. So we want to provide them inventory visibility. So again, I can make the promise, keep the promise. We'll talk, we'll talk about why that's important. And it's not only important for the customer from a digital perspective, it's also very important from a sales associate perspective that's in the store, right? Exposing inventory to them as well so they can actually make the promise, right? Again, that unified experience. Um, we obviously want to have all the data coming in regardless of channel. So the order management system says, well, I'll take point of sale data, right? I'll take e-com data, and I'll have one view, right, of basically what Jim's bought. So I know that I bought in, in store, I know I bought online, I know my return rate, I know what I like, what I dislike, right? I'm taking all that content and putting it in one, to one central, basically, database, right? So again, I've got 360 degree view of the customer. Uh, again, if, it, if, the, if, I can, if I can get point of sale data, and it's relevant, right, I'll take it. Um, and again, if I can get product pricing and promotions uh, that I've actually can promote to him or her, then I'll take it, right, as well. So again, we want a 360 degree view as it relates to item, price, product, promotion, right, and all their history. Why? Because I want to inform anybody that's touching that customer, right, I want to give them insight to the behaviors of that customer, not going looking for three or four different applications, but one, right? Okay. So, you know, I think this is a key distinction, and I think we stole this from Forrester. Uh, but where does order management sit in a typical commerce architecture and application perspective, right? And so, if you think about it, I've got <clears throat> branded digital touch points, kiosk web, right, mobile, tablet. I've got my traditional touch points, which are stores, contact centers. I've got APIs going back and forth. And basically, orders are dropping. I call them demand signals. Demand signals are dropping into the order management system. And then it's determining, right, hey, where's inventory? I'm connecting to back offices as well. I'll show you an example of a real life example. Right, but this is really kind of where order management sits in the ecosystem of somebody that's commerce. Now again, put financials aside, 
put DFNIO, demand forecasting, inventory optimization aside, put merch planning aside, I'm out of a server aside, but typically in the world of commerce, this is kind of where it sits. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the things that I, I really like about this diagram is, you know, because in the industry you'll hear the term DOM or distributed order management and all that, and that's a very important term. But as you can see from the diagram, it's just, it is a portion uh, of the ecosystem. It's like saying, okay, the transmission is really, really important on my car. Yes, it absolutely is important. But if I hand you a transmission, are you driving from here to Tennessee? No, you need more than that. It's a component of what you need. Yep. And so a little, little, little bit of a, I guess, plug about our order management system and kind of a different way to look at it, right? If you think about it, we're taking <clears throat> order sources from multiple, right, disparate platforms and different what I call demand signals or sources. So I can take it from a, your direct e-commerce right, let's say it's xyz.com, right? I can take them from eBay, Amazon, Jet, Etsy, Wayfair, right, as another order, basically source. I get, if it's B2B, right, and maybe you are both a wholesale and a retailer, as an example, I've got a client called US Auto Parts, uh, it goes by the name carparts.com, they're a wholesaler and a retailer, and a significant portion of their business is sold on eBay mm -hmm. and also sold on, on Amazon. So I take EDI feeds for some of their private label product. And if it's retail, if we got brick and mortar, I can take point of sale as well. And you're like, well, Jim, give me an example of a customer that looks like this. Not a customer of ours, but here's a good example if you're familiar with the brand Tory Birch, right? Tory Birch, she's got e-com, right? She's not selling on marketplaces, thank goodness, because she doesn't want to destroy the brand, right? She's got B2B customers that she's actually integrating with, with Saks, Neiman's, et cetera. And she's got brick and mortar. Right? All coming into basically one, oh, I'm gonna go back. One platform, okay, that basically says, I've got the demand, now what do I do with it? How do I actually logically or physically fulfill it, right? And so where's it sitting? Is it sitting in my DC? Is it sitting in one of Steve's, you know, one of Steve's 3PLs at Saddle Creek? Is it a vendor? Is it a physical store? It's orchestrating, right, the movement between demand and inventory, makes sense? It's a pretty simple slide, but I think it illustrates kind of what's happening. Now, here's what's more important. So we're orchestrating the orders, but what's as important is, I'm gonna go back here, I'm gonna flip around. Not only are we orchestrating the order, but we're also orchestrating the data, okay? This is a key distinction. So modern order management systems actually have an integration framework built into them, okay? Why? Because if we go back to this, and this is the whole conversation about is it hyper necessary, you can talk about this and we'll mm -hmm. give you some examples. Our order management system actually sits on a native integration framework. And why? Because of the fact that we are integrating to multiple disparate or bifurcated systems. So it's one thing to sit there and say, let me show you my 5,000 RESTful APIs, but what happens if the endpoint can't consume a RESTful API? What do you do? Whose responsibility is that, right? Okay, and we'll, I'll give you an example. Go ahead. Yeah, and so well, let, let me add, before I make this statement, how many people in the audience are from, like, uh, from the tech side of your organization, work in IT, that sort of thing? 
a couple. So I will, I'll, I'll try not to totally nerd out on this slide right here. But, you know, if we think about our clients that, that were on our OMS, we average between two and three sales channels per client. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, some of these clients, you know, they would say our business is simple, but they're still getting orders from multiple sources. Usually, those multiple sources aren't going to be the same type of file coming in. Um, they might all be XML, they might all be EDIX12 or something like that, but even as people in te technology know, even if we say, okay, all of our orders come in EDIX12, well, even if, if they're coming from different systems, it might all be EDIX12, but it's not gonna be the same format. The, one of the jokes about EDI is it's the standard that's not standard. And the nature of that is the fact that the order has to come in, you have to synthesize it into what we call a canonical order, nerd alert term, sorry, but basically you know, synthesize it to one type of order. So the idea is it comes in the system, pull it in, and then based on that, we'll execute different business rules. So for example, if a client sends us an order that is a B2B type order, we're gonna have different rules on how we fulfill that order versus if it's a direct-to-consumer order. Direct-to-consumer is get the stuff out the door now. B2B, sometimes those orders take the better part of a week to assemble because it might be 20 pallets or something like that. Now, it's all gonna go on one truckload, so I can't split that order between facilities. I, I can't do it. I can send it to one or the other, but I, I can't, can't split it. Whereas an e-com order, sometimes the nature of that order is I have to split it, or I want to split it to get that to the consumer quicker. Yeah, so if you think about what we've built, uh, and so we have just not built applications, e-commerce, point of sale, PEM, OMS, fulfillment. We call these business process objects or the new consulting tech word is microservices, right? If I hear that word, I'm gonna puke. But, but it's basically, these are just different objects that sit on the actual platform. But the underpinning technology is an integration framework and this is, will help, right? So here's a good example, okay? This is a customer. And so if you look at all the integrations we're doing, e-commerce, payment, right? Item, item master, uh, into human, human resources, right? Looking at email, loss prevention, CRM, tax, BI analytics, ERP, WMS. So imagine, and these are different, these are different applications. So order management really becomes not only are we managing the order flow, but we ultimately become the underpinning, right, central depository to manage the data flow as it relates to commerce. Make sense? So you just can't sit there and say, well, look, here's all my RESTful APIs. I wish you the best. What happens in, in the case of, I'll use GNC as an example of our clients. What happens if their ERP was built back in 1975 and runs on Cobalt, right? Doesn't even know what an API is. So what we do is we translate and route the data, put a pretty bow around it to sit there and say, okay, you can't do the integration. We'll do the integration on your behalf so your endpoint can actually consume the data, right? Make sense? And that's why we, right or wrong, have done painfully, but it, it, it's happened. We brought up a company um, in Canada called Toys R Us Canada in four and a half months, okay? Million orders during season, all channels, both drop ship, BOPIS, ship from store, and a four and a half month time period, right? Why? Not because the order routing logic was that difficult, ship from store, 
ship from the DC. That was easy. The hard part was the integration. And so here's a good example of this to kind of put this in some context. So if the order comes in, right, drops the order management system, and I do the order orchestration, there's three SKUs, SKU 1, SKU 2, and SKU 3, right? The downstream inventory sources are coming from different locations. One could be point of sale, and I've got to be an SFTP CSV file, so we'll translate that, we'll route that, right? One could be the vendor, it's all an AS2 EDI, we are a value-added network, so I don't need a van, I can handle the actual EDI transmission in any interconnect to that vendor, right? And the third is, let's say, um, this is a 3PL, and this happens to be uh, Steve's 3PL, and they run Softion as their WMS. So again, we translate that into an API, XML, to communicate to uh, Softion, right? So we're handling not only the order flow, we're handling the data flow. Make sense? Versus saying, hey, this ain't my problem. No, we're making it our problem, right, so you don't have to deal with it, okay? That's where the complexity is. So again, key, key uh, OMS functions, we talk about uh, multi-sales channels, we talk about ability to handle marketplaces. Anybody today uh, use indirect channels or marketplaces today? Ecom, right? So, you know, our ability to publish not only the item, but also publish the inventory, take the order flow as well, is very, very important. Um, obviously, multiple fulfillment sources. We talked about inventory segmentation. This is key, right? I mean, so a lot of, a lot of companies can't virtually and physically segment inventory in their four walls. We can. So I don't need to have a pallet for Amazon and a pallet for Wayfair and a pallet for my own channel and a pallet for my... I don't need to physically separate that product, right? Mm -hmm. This pallet is just a pallet of inventory. And logically, I'm determining who owns it. Yeah. It makes sense? Yeah. So you don't have to physically separate. Now, you may separate it for forward picking because my, my forward pick locations may look different based upon those channels. But in terms of that reserved inventory, the order management system just ceases at inventory. Okay? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'll spin that a little, you know, and say the same thing indifferently. You know, Separating inventory in the warehouse used to be a, a, a practice of where to do it. But here's the way I look at it. The warehouse's job is to keep track of inventory physically. How many are in the warehouse and in what unit of measure. The order management system's job is to keep track of inventory logically. Divided by however you want to divide it. Now, you may want to look at that logically in multiple different ways. That's the benefit of being able to look at it logically. And, and that's really the job of an order management system versus a warehouse management system. It's not that one's better than the other, they both have a job. And the job of the WMS is to keep track of those physical units, not how I want to merchandise and sell those right. units. Yeah, and to, to put this in perspective, let's just say I am selling, we have a client today that sells 100% through indirect channels. So their two biggest customers are um, Wayfair and Amazon, okay? And so what they were doing before was that they were publishing inventory every day, right? And saying, okay, Amazon, you get 100. Wayfair, you get 100, right? And they're evaluating manually the sell-through rate on both, on both channels, okay? That's fine. But when you don't have infinite amount of inventory, right? And you get down to a finite amount, the question is who gets it? So let's say I've got one. So I have 100 and 100, 200 total. Now I have one item, one, one inventory level. Who gets it, right? 
Does Amazon get it or does Wayfair get it, right? So one of the things we're doing is looking at order profitability. We're looking at the gross margin on the item. We're looking at the uh, terms on the item, the payment terms. Is it net 90, net 20? We're making decisions that says, no, ultimately that one last unit, right, is going to go to Wayfair because it's the most profitable order, right, for me to allocate. Make sense? So again, we're not doing that on every order until you hit basically what we call a finite threshold. And so it's first in, first out until I hit a finite threshold. Then the order management system kicks in and says, oh, okay, I got to wake up, right? I'm getting below my threshold. Now I'm going to start figuring out, right, who gets what based upon order profitability. Does it make sense? Okay. So expectation management. This is something that's key. So I have the privilege of sitting on a, a board of directors, a company called U.S. Auto Parts. I was just there yesterday, and I took a red eye in this morning so I could speak with you guys. <laughs> but um, they do a good job, right, on, and Amazon does a good job on what I call pre-cart expectation management. And this is an example. And says, look, as you go through your checkout process, what I'm doing behind the scenes is I'm doing kind of a nudge. And so the order management system is smart enough to know where the inventory is real time, near time, and I'm making, right, I'm making a nudge to sit there and say, look, um, you can fulfill, I can fulfill all three, but my transportation time is going to be longer in three business days, okay? But I'll give you that at free cost. But if you really want that one pair of shoes to be shipped and be delivered next day, these two items will be in um, uh, three days, then there's a cost associated with that speed, right? So time isn't free. Make sense? So what we're doing is we're, manage, we're giving the, the consumer the option that if you want it in three days, it's free. But if we can nudge you to actually split it here, and the answer is why? Because reality is I'm making money on that 995. If I can nudge you to actually take that shoe faster and you're paying for it, I've actually not subsidized the freight. I've actually paid and I'm now profitable, right? Make sense? So it's the things that we're doing with what we call best ship method uh, type processes, right? So the future of leveraging AI, because I got to talk about AI. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about AI. Like two years ago, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Amazon. I'm kind of over Amazon. Let's talk about AI. So how are we leveraging AI today, right? So this is what we're doing. This is an example. So instead of just doing simple rules-based algorithms, if then else, what we're doing is we're evaluating and we're predicting where the item is going to ship from, okay, real time. And so if you look at the fact the customer sitting here, I've got a store sitting here, I've got two DCs on east and west coast, I've got a store in the, uh, let's say, Indiana area, Indianapolis, Indiana, and I've got a store up here in Washington, the obvious decision would be, well, look, ship it close. Ship it from right here, right? But here's the reality. This store is going crazy. I don't want to ship it from that store, right? I've just run a promotion, right? I know that store is going to sell through in brick and mortar, so don't take inventory that I know and I'm predicting is going to happen physically. Bypass this store. I can't meet the transit time from Washington. That's too long because the, the, the customer wants it in two days. 
but I can meet the transit time from the store in Indianapolis. And oh, by the way, that inventory is not moving, and I'm predicting it's not going to move. So yes, I'll eat the cost associated with the transportation time to forgo the disappointment of having no inventory in my store. Yeah. So we're dynamically forecasting using predictive analytics to determine what's happening right, by channel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's where we're using AI to make those deterministic type um, recommendations. Right? This to me is nirvana getting to this step because the fact, and this is something that, that is, is not necessarily simple to get to as a retailer, but if you can, this is Nirvana. One of the reasons why is you can put all the rules that you can think of into your system. You can put all of the facts, all of the purchasing, all of your promotions into the system. And that all works great until there's like a five-day monsoon rain store at that Indianapolis location and nobody's going out of the store for a week. Whereas the weather is beautiful in Texas. You all know that brick and mortar is generally going to do better in nicer weather versus bad weather. So at, at some level, having AI, having predictive analytics, it, it can re especially if you have a lot of different locations that inventory comes from, it is really key. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're looking at, we're taking pricing fee changes, we're taking promotional fee changes, we're taking markdown, right, that we know that's going to happen. And we're basically running what we call a smart, smart order by dynamically forecasting and using predictive analytics to determine really what's going to sell and then dynamically changing the inventory that I allow right, to be sold in all channels, okay? So pretty powerful stuff. So again, back to post-shipment expectation, here's a good example. So, you know, again, a single platform, I don't need or we don't need a third party to actually handle post-shipment expectations and uh, transportation um, time, right, to the actual customer. So this is a good example of, a, of one of our candy, uh, candy uh, organizations. Hey, oh, let me go back. So I've got actual delivery date. I'm giving them delivery status, right? And then, again, I can hook them back. <clears throat> again, unified commerce experience where if they want to go back and, and shop online, I just take them right back, right, to their e-commerce platform as well. So why? Because it's two things. It serves two purposes. One, I manage the expectation to where the actual order is real time, as, as many APIs as I can get, right? And I'm saying, look, it's going to be delivered, right? Actual delivery date is going to be on, on July 2nd. And I'm giving them tracking information as well. So I'm not... You know, I don't know if anybody's seen this from an e-commerce company. You get this ugly um, HTML5 or XML string that says click here and it jumps you off to FedEx or jumps you off to UPS and you can't go back to the actual website. It's a horrible experience, right? I won't name any retailers that do that, but there are a lot of them that do this. What this is is giving you a digital expectation management experience that says, look, look, I can promote to you, I can change this content, right? to actually make sure that the experience is the same experience once the actual order leaves the actual fulfillment center. Does it make sense? So this is just simple post-shipment expectation management. But the other, the other key is, is I'm giving you statuses as to where things are in transit. Why? Because if you look at most cost and call centers today, the most number of inbound traffic 
right or wrong, is where's my order? That's number one. Number two is you screwed up my credit card. I don't understand the transactions, like why did you off the actual payment for $1,000 and the product hasn't shipped yet? So you screwed up my credit card. And three, I want to know more about the product, right? So the imagery that you've got online is very flat or doesn't represent the product, so I want to know more about what's happening, yeah. right? Those are primarily the three major reasons why people come into a call center. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to eliminate where's my order but make it a great experience, okay? Yeah. So. This to me is important because, you know, as an e-commerce retailer, retail in general, you have to remember, even though you're not the one actually shipping the product, you, you, you're usually you're not, you're usually, unless you're Amazon, usually you're relying on a delivery partner. But here's the thing. The consumer's not happy when you say, hey, we shipped it. The consumer's happy when they have the product in their hand. And if UPS or FedEx or the post office screw up, I know they never do, but let's just say they do, because it happens, they don't care that, that it isn't your truck. You know, said differently, if I go to a restaurant and I get a crappy steak and the chef comes out and says, yeah, I'm sorry, the butcher screwed up, are you happy? No. You pick the delivery partner, you need as a retailer to own that process until right. the product is in the consumer's hand. So I think we've actually, we're done. Wow. We, we, we finished right on time. We nailed it. I don't it. know if we have time for questions or not. <laughs> I don't know if we have questions or not, but if, there, but if there's any questions, you can grab Steve or I, mm -hmm. right, um, uh, you know, afterwards. We're, I think our booth is just right down here. Uh, yeah. He's around as well, so yeah. feel, feel free to come by, have more conversations, or uh, if you've got questions now, I can, we could can be more than glad to help, yeah. help, uh, help answer them. So, any questions? Quiet? These are a quiet group. All right? All right, thank you guys. Thanks, thank Don. you. Bye. Appreciate it.